The views expressed in this podcast are those of individuals and do not reflect those of the U.S. government, the Peace Corps, or the government of Panama. Hello, my name is Dan Lipkowitz and welcome to the Peace Corps Panama Files. In this podcast miniseries, each week I will be interviewing a different volunteer who is finishing up their Peace Corps service in Panama. We'll talk about where they come from, what led them to join the Peace Corps, and with each guest I'll tackle a different fundamental aspect of serving as a volunteer in Panama. We'll delve into what has been enlightening, difficult, and downright strange as they've navigated the cultural and professional journey of serving as a volunteer over the past two years. This week, I had the distinct privilege of sitting down with Emma Mary Cast. Emma lives in the northernmost province of Panama, Chiriquí, and we discussed its unique qualities and how its international associations caused it to differ from the rest of the country of Panama. Emma left Maine to come to the Peace Corps after recognizing a deep desire to form human connections across cultural and linguistic barriers. Emma cites the recognition that she would have friends throughout her Peace Corps process as one of the most important factors giving her confidence to commit to two years of service. Emma seems to possess a fathomless source of compassion that has enabled her to serve as an empathetic foundation for other volunteers. With this in mind, I wanted to pursue a conversation about the deep bonds formed between fellow volunteers here. We were able to analyze why these connections run so deep and how they compare and relate to the profound friendships that we form within our communities. It was an absolute delight to talk with Emma and to try and get to the heart of human connection in the context of a Peace Corps experience. Better this time. Of course. How do we start though? Like, one, two, three. Do you believe in magic in a young girl's heart? The devil, the whatever it starts, it's magic. If the music is beautiful. No, that's not it at all. Okay, well, anyway. Uh, yeah. I am so lucky today to be joined by a fantastic, fantastic human being that brings so much joy to so many people, and I'm lucky enough to be able to call her my friend, Miss... Emma Cast, how are you doing? I'm doing so great, and you're so kind. Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> so, Emma, first off, what's your middle name? What is it? Do you I, I, know? I, I don't know. You I'm, don't know at all. I know. I must Emma Mary Cast. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, sorry. Pretty simple. I'm a simple Emma. gal. <laughs> you're simply wonderful. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so, Emma, we're here in Panama City for last week. Uh, we're going through the last kind of logistical aspects of, uh, of uh, our time down here as Peace Corps volunteers, and we all just left our communities, which was an emotionally fraught process. But can you tell me a little, about, uh, a little bit about, I'll still say, tell me about your community, not what was your community, but what is your community. Thanks for that. I appreciate it. Um, so I am a Chiricana. I am from the province of Chiriqui, which was the, with the border of Costa Rica. Um, my community's name is Valle de la Mina. I'm about an hour and a half, two hours, two and a half hours, depending on how you get there, from the capital city, David. Um, I live in a mountainous community. There's one main road that is just straight uphill. Um... And so I would say it's the most beautiful site in Panama. I'm not biased at all, I swear. Um, um, yeah. I would also say you. I've visited your site a few times. 
and it is absolutely gorgeous. I think one thing that is definitely working in your favor when you claim that it is the most beautiful site is you, from your house, uh, have a direct view of a volcano mm-hmm. and actually the largest, uh, the largest volcano, the tallest mountain in the entire country of Panama. Yeah, I frequently call myself a spoiled brat because every day I wake up, get a cup of coffee, go outside and see, hey, Baru, how you doing? <laughs> Volcan Baru. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So can you tell us a little bit more just about kind of what the the cultural traits of your community are? I think especially you're the first uh, person I've volunteered that uh, that sorry, interviewed the first volunteer that I've interviewed from the province of Chiriquí. Mm-hmm. So you talk a little bit about what the people are like there, kind of like what type of work they do, what certain maybe cultural idiosyncrasies there are uh, that occur in Panama, but and what separates Pan uh, what separate uh, in Chiriquí and what separates Chiriquí from the other provinces. Yeah, so one of the main things, just as Chiriki as a whole, is there's a lot of pride. Yeah, If you're absolutely. from Ch- Chiriki, you are super proud to be from there. Um, there's, like, certain little slang words they say. For example, meto is something that, it's like an exclamation. Um, people, just a little thing. <laughs> um, but in terms of my site, Chiriki is where the majority, if not all, the mass production of vegetables come from from in the whole country yeah um so there's huge um vegetable production along with um coffee coffee is a big thing mm-hmm. in my site in particular about five to ten years ago we had one of the biggest we were one of the bigger producers for a coffee company here called duran mm-hmm. um, which essentially duran for our listeners that uh, we wouldn't expect them to know this uh, essentially provides coffee for the entire country of mm-hmm. Panama. So anyone, your your average person that wants to buy a pack of coffee will most likely be buying Duran. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I want to say five to ten years ago, I'll give it a big span of time, um, there were trucks coming in and out every day. People were telling me, like, an absurd amount, I don't know, just coming harvesting coffee every day Duran. They would harvest from my community before they went to Boquete, which is where still, like, the most um, coffee production, I think, in Panama. Um, so once, about five years ago, a, what would it be called? Like, a fungus came and wiped out the majority of um, the coffee crops. And so from there, like, that livelihood kind of took a downward plunge. A lot of people now are slowly being able to um, bring their coffee production back up, but it's not anywhere in near where it used to be and so a lot of people do um have their own little farms subsistence agriculture but for the most part um the women will stay at home and the, a lot of men are working outside of the community um and that can be far as in towards um panama city and other provinces where people are doing construction work um and other than that my community is also on the main road that will get you off of the interamericana which is the road that goes through Panama all the way up through. Uh, there's there's the dark yeah it goes there's a, there's a gap in the in the southern part of Panama between Panama and Colombia called the Darien Gap, but it essentially travels the entire uh, north to south length of South America and Central America. So from my communities off the road that goes from the Interamericana all the way to Boca del Toro, which is a very touristy beautiful province in Panama, um, and so if you are a backpacker and you were trying to get from anywhere in Panama to these 
beautiful islands, you will take this road. So because of that, we have a few hostels in my community. One of them is super popular. Um, and so if you, that also brings a little bit of work into the community. There are some community members that work up there and um, there are some, a couple coffee shops and things like that um, that bring a little bit of work in, but for the most part, and yeah, and I think that that's definitely um, related to that. Something that I've heard about Chiriki is outside of Panama City, which within the country of Panama, Panama City is kind of its own separate world. It has uh, it's very different from the the rest of the country. Uh, I often hear that Chiriki is has a has a maybe a more international influence than the other provinces, mm-hmm. like you. Uh, you were saying that there's a distinct pride in Chiriki. And mm-hmm. I think that uh, that might lie, like the reasons behind that might lie in the fact that the land there is so fertile. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you said that they produce, they produce the majority of the country's vegetables there. But also the coffee that is produced in Chiriki. Um, for example, I live in Panama Oeste, which is about an eight-hour bus ride mm-hmm. uh, from, it's, a, it's very far away uh, in the in the context of, of the country of Panama. And they also produce coffee in my community, but the coffee that's produced in my community is kind of a lower grade and is only really used for uh, local consumption. It's also, they sell to Duran, but it's mm-hmm. but it's really only sold and drunk by uh, people in Panama. And in Chiriqui, they grow various strains of coffee that mm-hmm. are often exported. Uh, and you can, if you go to Starbucks in the United States, you'll get coffee that was produced yeah. in Chiriqui. And I think that Having that that super fertile land, uh, and having that uh, those business connections where they have, where the people that live there are often uh, interacting uh, in international systems, whether it's economics or whether it's people stopping by in, in hostels over there, that there's definitely that sort of kind of influence that 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 certain influence on the culture there. Yeah, and another thing that Cherokee does produce that most provinces are jealous of are the um, strawberries which is awesome because we have, yeah, those higher elevations. So then you are able to produce products that on lowlands where it's super hot, like wouldn't be able to um, be produced. Another thing is, and I've been thinking about this a little bit lately and I'm not sure if it's exactly correct, but since we do have a border with Costa Rica, Costa Rica is, um, does incredible things with ecotourism and um, bringing yeah, tourists and things like that. And I don't know if they're setting an example for us. And a lot of tourists that are coming from um, Costa Rica, heading their way down, um, maybe are, I don't know, like expecting a certain way, the right way to phrase it. But um, I don't know if we're, Cherokee as a province is looking at that ecotourism and kind of going from there. Because there are, like, I've even seen in the past few years, like, how much it's improved. Mm-hmm improved is an interesting word, but developed yeah. um, and changed. Well, yeah, I think, like, Costa Rica definitely made a very, as a nation, they made, like, a very conscious decision to to ground their their economy in uh, ecotourism. And mm-hmm. I and it, and it thus far, it's been very successful for them. Right. So it would make sense that, that there would be a diffusion of that sort of mm-hmm. idea to Panama as well. For sure. Um, but, yeah, so you live in Chiriqui, mm-hmm. Valle de la Mina. Mm-hmm. Um, but where are you from the United States? I am a Mainer. Nice. I am super proud of it. I think anybody that knows me knows that I'm from Maine, and mm. I will not stop talking about it. Um, yeah, I went to school in 
Vermont, St. Michael's College, and Maine. <laughs> and when when did you first uh, when did you first hear about the Peace Corps? When did the idea of doing something kind of along the lines of Peace Corps uh, first enter your general uh, thoughts? Hmm. When did it first enter my general thoughts? I've kind of always like heard about it, and I don't know, more or less like thought about doing Peace Corps. Actually, when I was in college, I studied abroad in Costa Rica. Cool. And my, I guess we'd call her, like, program manager, mm-hmm. um, was a Peace Corps volunteer here in Panama. Cool. As a community environmental conservation volunteer. I remember talking to her and her doing a presentation on Peace Corps, and after that, saying, no way, I'm not joining Peace Corps. Two years, like, so hard, can't do that. And so I kind of, like, wrote it off, like, junior year of college. But then... No, I'm going to do that sophomore year. But, so then from there, I, as senior year was coming around, I was really thinking about what I wanted to do with my life and or for the next steps. And being part of a community, challenging myself in a way that I hadn't really been challenged before, mm-hmm. and uh, learning a new language, and just, like, environmental work, and then, like, working with people and trying to help in any way that I could, I guess, um, became like, some of my goals, and I still wasn't really thinking about Peace Corps, and I, one of my best friends at the, uh, was also applying for Peace Corps, and I remember talking to one of my bosses, and he was like, Emma, why don't you just apply for the Peace Corps, and I was like, you're right, why don't I just apply for the Peace Corps, and it all just kind of, like, fit into place, and me and my friend actually were lucky enough, I think, to have each other to apply for that process together, mm-hmm. and from there, just kind of, things fell into place, and here we are. Do you think uh, seeing other people apply for it or hearing more about it kind of dampened that concern about the, the two-year for uh, sure. commitment? Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I mean, when I was studying abroad, three months was really hard for me to be away from home. Yeah. I'm really close to my family, and I'm a diehard Mainer, so it was that was tough, but um, definitely having a friend through the process like made it all okay, and I also had a couple of friends that were volunteers or return Peace Corps volunteers and so I think that also helps like putting it less as like something that like could maybe happen into like real like I actually can do this yeah and I think kind of having <laughs> that confidence that uh, uh, having that confidence that you're entering the Peace Corps and it is going to be a unique individual experience but mm-hmm. you're not necessarily like entering it alone you're not going to be completely isolated the entire mm-hmm. time uh, even if you have uh, a friend that's serving in a different country, just knowing that there's someone else that you can relate to. And I'm um, also, like, super lucky to have um, an incredible family and friends that are just, like, crazy supportive. And so I think, like, just even mentioning it, I think, I don't know, to my parents and my sister, I just kind of like, yeah, maybe the Peace Corps. And they're like, yeah, hell yeah, do that. And so I think having that support behind me was definitely a reason why I just, like, continue to run with it because mm-hmm. they – the faith that I was able to do it and that was like huge for me and and how's it been staying have you been able to stay really in, in good contact with your family mm-hmm. how's how uh, did you encounter any any difficulties with that or, or has it been pretty smooth for, for me it's been smooth I would say um, yeah. it was interesting when you leave the United States you have no idea what your community is gonna be like you have no idea what your communication will be especially us where I've mentioned this on previous podcasts, but uh, we were the last group 
to apply to the Peace Corps without, they changed the application process. Mm -hmm. So we did not select Pam as a country. So right. when we applied, we didn't even know which country we were going mm -hmm. to. And so I remember leaving being like, okay, and that was super hard. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know when I'll contact you again. Like, I'll try when I can. But here in Panama, we have the WhatsApp thing. And so we are able to really easily communicate. And I think that definitely that has been something that has helped me get through this all. Like, through every hard time, I had no hesitant hesitancy, hesitation. Hesit hesitation. <laughs> no hesitation, yeah. <laughs> to contact my family, and they've gotten me through this. And I think especially also kind of as we just like both left our communities, uh -huh. which was a very difficult thing to do. Yeah. Uh, and I know that a lot of us share the sentiment that we're leaving a new, we're leaving a family there as mm -hmm. well and close groups of friends. But it was really interesting that I, a lot of conversations I had with community members so I, as I was leaving, uh, we discussed, oh, but there's WhatsApp, there's WhatsApp, this application, so we can still stay in contact. Yeah. So those... Uh, kind of those mechanisms, those ways that we stay in contact with our family during our Peace Corps service, we're mm -hmm. now going to continue utilizing in the United States For to stay sure. in contact with our community. I'm like, so, I'm so excited about that. Or, yeah, feel lucky to have that. Yeah, it's definitely, yeah, it's definitely a, a privilege to, to be able to stay in contact with them. Mm -hmm. um, and it makes me think about uh, previous volunteers, you know, in like the 60s and 70s that might not have had those resources. Yeah. And how that experience is Or different. even, like, there was a volunteer on my site about 10, 15 years ago, and her, even in my own community, her experience was completely different, because I don't, I mean, I haven't talked to her about it, but I'm assuming, like, WhatsApp wasn't a thing, and so, yeah. like, even within the past two years, it's just become so popular, and I, I'm excited, like, I feel lucky for that, because yeah. it's hard to leave, and, yeah. Yeah, and you said that it, uh, that... It hasn't been that difficult for you to stay in contact with your family, but actually, that's kind of a uh, one of the main things that I wanted to talk about with you today. Mm -hmm. I think that you say that it's easy, but you're kind of downplaying the the role that you've played in that. And I've seen as we've been uh, as we've served as volunteers, um, you were placed in. Uh, we we spent three months together during our training, and then you were placed in a province that is very far away from, from my province, very far away from other volunteers who are close friends, uh, provinces. And yet you, more than anyone else, I feel have continued to serve as kind of an emotional home base for so many volunteers here in our group. I know for me personally, and speaking with other volunteers, uh, I've interviewed Julia, I've interviewed Karen, and they've also both mentioned in numerous conversations uh, the emotional support that you um, and I think a lot of times in Peace Corps, uh, because we're away from our families and we're, because we're away from our friends, we have to, we explore kind of alternative uh, networks, alternative kind of systems that could provide those same, uh, those same emotional uh, aspects that a family would provide. And you've been crucial for me during my two years, but, and also for a number of other volunteers. And I think that you are particularly good at, even though physically you're super distant, uh, incredibly, incredibly far away, you maintain uh, an intimacy that feels uh, like nothing is lost over that incredibly long distance. Um, so first, I just want to say thank you. Oh my gosh, thank you. <laughs> but also, what 
do you recognize kind of that trait in yourself? And also, do you, how do you, do you actively have to remind yourself to stay in contact with people? Kind of what is, when you form, uh, when you're maintaining these long distance friendships, what kind of is going through your mind? Uh, because I feel like I, I'm someone that particular that especially struggles with uh, long distance communication, and I have to consistently remind myself mm -hmm. to to contact people. Mm -hmm. And I feel very guilty about that, but it seems like it comes very naturally. Is that is that the way that it feels to you? Well, first off, thank you for like making me tear up over here. No, thanks for being <laughs> my like, <laughs> thanks for supporting me over the past two years. Um, for me. I don't know how to answer this. I don't... I value human connection in relationships a lot. Mm -hmm. And I think, as you were saying, like, overtraining, like, you're in a really intimate situation in terms of going through a lot that I think a lot of us hadn't really gone through before. Like, you're away from your family, you're trying to figure out what these next two years of your life are going to be, and new information is always thrown at you, and you're trying to figure out what's going to be normal for you. And I think through that, you make friendships and you create these bonds that are stronger than a lot. Um, I think that some of us have felt in the past. I don't know. Maybe that's not true. But I don't know. You become really close with this family that you create. And I think especially, I think we've talked about this a little bit before, our group, I don't know what it is, we have this like super strong bond. Yeah. Um, and we have each other's back through whatever. Um, so... For me, it was really hard when I found out that I was going far away, mm -hmm. um, knowing that my friends would be close and I was just por allá. And, and you mean going far away as in a different place? Yeah, not, not really yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, but I don't know. I think just like having that, I think one of my values is just like human connection. I don't know if yeah. that makes sense or is that the phrasing I, for it, but like. I think absolutely, and I think it, it especially makes sense in the context of serving as a Peace Corps volunteer, mm -hmm. especially in our line of work where so much of our success as volunteers depends on our uh, human connections mm -hmm. with our community members. And so I guess, like, I mean, there are definitely times where I'll go through stints of not talking to everyone mm -hmm. constantly, and I will talk to some people and not others, and it goes on this, like, roller coaster, but I, I don't know, I think that it's really sweet for you to say all of those kind words, but I also think that you guys have are a huge support system for me. Mm -hmm. And so it's also like a way for me to um, talk things out and cope with a lot of what we're dealing with. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know if that's... Yeah. Um, so just to, to, to hash back to the... to reference back to the idea of like the formation of those strong mm -hmm. friendships... I also feel like uh, an integral part uh, to that is we're put through this three-month training process. Mm -hmm. We're all living in very close quarters, uh, or we're living, we all live in the same town, and we see each other very consistently over those three months, mm -hmm. but it's jam-packed with activities, with training, mm -hmm. and the actual amount of time that we get to interact uh, to form those friendships is very limited, and I feel like... I feel uh, that due to that limited amount of time that we have to get to know each other, to form those deep friendships, it forces us to just completely uh, discard 
the regular kind of trivial things that would occur when forming a friendship. So there's no small talk. You get yeah. into it, you immediately talk about get in, poop. Well, you get talk about poop. Sorry. You talk about no, no, no. That's fine. <laughs> we can, we, we've we've already had a poop story. I don't okay, good, good, um, good. No, but you talk about we talk about bodily functions. We also talk about very uh, uh, deeply kind of emotional concepts and things that we're going through yeah. without really easing our way into it. Mm-hmm. And I think that maybe it doesn't form stronger friendships than we have back home, but it's a very different type of friendship mm-hmm. because there is that sense of uh, urgency kind yeah. of in our friendship. And I was wondering, do you think, do you think in the, in the context of other Peace Corps volunteers serving as an alternative to a family, providing the roles that uh, that a family would in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you do? You, how do you view first? How do you view other volunteers as another as an alternative to a family? And secondly, how do you think that this specific type of friendship provides uh, either similarities or differences to what you have to the very uh, deep, intimate connections that we have back home with people that we. I think the volunteer support is crucial in this, Mm -hmm. um, in the family that we create as a group because, yeah, you have your family, and I'm lucky to have the super supportive one that I do, um, but there are a lot of things that you go through here that it's just like you can't relate to. Mm -hmm. And not like negatively, it's just like the reality. Um, And so I think like when you, that bond that you have as volunteers and through that family that you form... um, is vital to continue the service because you are able to hash out a lot of things that people are also feeling. Um, and yeah, just like a support on like another level of mm-hmm. regardless of what you're talking about. Like it's pretty, yeah, we're all on different sites. We all have completely different, um, relationships with our community members, but at the end of the day, you can talk to someone who's 10 hours away, another volunteer and, they'll probably be feeling similar emotional mm-hmm. or have experienced an emotional, um, that feeling that you're having. And it's a, for me, it's been really helpful to talk that out and to know that you're not really alone in a lot of the feelings you're having because, cause you are physically maybe alone in your house and your hammock, mm-hmm. but, and it's really easy to get your brain doing these crazy cycles of thoughts and having that person to talk to volunteer that's maybe gone through it. Um, or can just listen to you and relate on some kind of level is, I think, what I can honestly say that's what's gotten me through these two years. Yeah. And I think often when we talk about friendships, when we talk about people that we're really close with, you often express it as uh, deep friendships are formed by shared experience. Mm -hmm. And I think that's completely valid, but I think that's something that's often uh, either forgotten or not explicitly mentioned in that is that those shared exper- those shared experiences form uh, like a, a synchronized kind of emotional track. Mm-hmm. So the idea that like everyone's kind of on the same emotional wavelength mm-hmm. that's how I think about at least like my family mm-hmm. is is like if something occurs we'll often have like the same emotional reaction to mm-hmm. it. And I feel like that's the same sort of I'm in sync with you, my fellow volunteers in Panama as well. Mm-hmm. In that. You were say, like you were saying, even though we're we're far away, I can call you up and talk about some strange like uh, some strange like uh, 
emotional thing that I'm going through, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's happy, sad, excited, uh, confused, and I can be fairly certain that you'll be along that same mm-hmm. kind of bell curve of, of emotion. And I as think well. too, like our job. You don't really have, this is one of the first times in my life where I haven't had, like, a boss that's looking down at me, or a teacher, a professor that's grading the work I'm doing. Like, you are your own boss, and you are the one that kind of critiques yourself, which is probably, can be negative on some. Because, I don't you know, can I think be, You can be really hard on yourself, yeah, our, absolutely. What's that phrase? Like, we're our worst critics? So, I'll yeah. go see, whatever. But, um... <laughs> So I think another part of that is to call volunteers and be like, hey, I'm doing this or I handled this situation in this way. Will you just like listen to me through this or help me? Like, did I do it right? Mm-hmm. In a way, like almost like looking at your friends maybe as like a... Definitely a sounding board. For sounding bouncing, board. Yeah, yeah, yeah for, for bouncing ideas. Um, and also, like you said, uh, you can, we can all be very hard on ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I think whether we're consciously or subconsciously looking for it, the affirmation that we receive from other volunteers is super it, helpful. Yeah, it's um, And it gets us through those two years. Yeah, Because um, sure. I know uh, on numerous occasions when I felt a little downtrodden, mm-hmm. even without it being solicited, someone's come up to me like, hey, Dan, I thought you did a really great job on that. Yeah. And it just gave me that little boost of energy right. and confidence to continue serving. Mm-hmm. Um, so you seem... So you, you clearly have these very close connections with uh, our group uh, and the fellow volunteers here. Um, how have you taken that uh, and utilized that? Or how has that been a reference or a stepping stone in your relationship with your community members? Um, do you feel like those there's any uh, resemblance in the, in the deep relationships that you have uh, with fellow volunteers, and I know that you are really close with with some uh, community members in in Valle de la Mina. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, is there any sort of uh, in, do those share certain qualities, or do you feel like it's completely it's in a deep friendship, but in a very different way? Huh. I feel like. I've had some, yeah, I have some pretty deep friendships in sight. Um, a few. Yeah. Not, like, a ton, but, and I think a lot of them actually have come within the last couple of months. Mm-hmm. I've been friends with a lot of people for these past few years, but I think our friendships have really blossomed in the past few months because I, um, in your last three months in sight, you're kind of wrapping up projects and you're focusing on your, like, leave, I guess. Yeah. Um. And for me, I, I became more, I was a little bit more open, I don't know, and became more of the sassy self that I am, um, and opened up a lot of people, and I think a lot of my relationships in my site um, grew from that. So I would say I do have some pretty great friendships. Um, that was definitely really hard to leave. Yeah. I don't know if that... I... I think for me, like, I all of a sudden, I think in the last, like, six months to a year, started putting a lot of value in just simple conversations and being that sounding board and that that listener for community members as well. And mm-hmm. I was talking about this with someone recently, probably with you, 
um, about how um, a lot of in these communities where, like one of my best friends, for example, I would go and I'd sit at the little tienda of the store almost every evening from like five until eight when she closed and just like sit and chat mm-hmm. and listen to her. And in the community, it's her, basically the whole community is her family. Um, out of like 300, 500 people, she's related to like probably half of the people mm-hmm. in some way, shape or form. And I received a message from her when I left and it was just how it's going to be hard because she doesn't necessarily have someone like an unbiased person just like listening to her. Yeah. Just someone there to like, I'm not going to gossip. I'm not, I'm just there to listen and like not gonna judge talk either. to her about it. And I think like a lot of my relationships blossomed because I was doing that in the last like six months, just like listening and for that 80 something year old abuela, just sitting there and listening and spending time with her and letting her having a great conversation about whatever, whether it's the coffee that we're drinking and how I think it's too sweet and she thinks it's not sweet enough mm-hmm. or how like she was the first family to be in the community and to tell stories. And yeah. Just to, and it's crazy also how often conversations with community members just by simply sitting there and listening will go from something as basic oh as to goodness. it's raining or, or it's the season for pifa, which is a great fruit into I was the first community, like, my, yeah. my father founded this community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, no, and you, I've learned so much, like, mm-hmm. even, I don't know, you spend a year and a half, like, thinking you're learning all about the community, and then in the last, like, what, six, six months, I feel like I've learned so much more, because I just was there to sit and to just drink coffee and listen. Yeah. Or make too much banana bread <laughs> and eat that while we chat. Yeah. I, I personally, uh... In my experience in my community, I've found that my friendships with my community members, which I view as equally profound, uh, equally close as my friendship with you guys, mm-hmm. I still view those friendships as completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think part of it is uh, a result of me being a much more conscious listener mm-hmm. in my community. Um, and I think taking that role of listener has kind of formed a different type of friendship that I, that I value equally, but just operates in a different way. Mm-hmm. And, but I would say that the one thing that I think kind of unites both, both the friendships that I have, uh, with you guys, my fellow volunteers in my group, mm-hmm. and also with my community member, community members is the idea of, uh, vulnerability mm-hmm. and the idea of like we like we were discussing earlier, we're forced very quickly into forming strong bonds with each other. So there is an aspect of uh, a leap of faith where we very quickly uh, put ourselves in a state of emotional vulnerability by offering, uh, by sharing our feelings in a way that we might not normally do with someone that we've only known for, I don't know, three, four weeks. Because I feel yeah. like at that point in training, like the strong friendships mm-hmm. uh, start forming. Um, and I think that the, the process of all of us, uh, quickly developing, developing, uh, a comfort with being vulnerable with each other Mm -hmm. contributes to the strength of those bonds that we have. Mm -hmm. And I think I've, like you were saying in your community, the, us demonstrating vulnerability with our community members. Once there, I feel like there definitely is a tipping point in your, where you start, you stop having those just regular conversations and you finally take that little leap of faith and you offer a personal opinion or you offer something that's deeply personal and you demonstrate that you're okay 
getting into that that vulnerable zone with them, and then you serve kind of as an example. Mm-hmm. And then once you return back to playing that role as the listener after you've shared uh, that thought, they know that they can also be vulnerable with you. Mm-hmm. So it's that shared vulnerability, and then as a listener, you can you can be unbiased. You can you can be non judgmental. And I think that for me, the reason why it came later on in the game was because you come into your community and especially as, I don't know, first time volunteer, but I guess for any, whatever volunteer you are, first, second, third, um, you're you're struggling with trying to prove yourself as a professional Mm -hmm. and also you're walking this line of professional but also like wanting to be part of a family. Absolutely. And so when you are... I don't know, I feel like I was hiding a lot because I'm trying to have this professional feel and no, I am like a licensed or have my bachelor degree in yeah. stuff. <laughs> Licen- stuff. Licencia. No, it's licencia. Yeah, I have my driver's license too. <laughs> yeah, in but, Spanish, but yeah. Um, and so as soon as I kind of, people, in, once I had that professional ground, that foundation like pretty strong, mm-hmm. that's when my... Um, you were able I to expand. Say, yeah, I was so. able to expand and kind of maybe, I want to say be more vulnerable, but like maybe like talk about more other topics. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I'm not sure if vulnerable is not, the right word. The word yeah. Like, yeah, but I think definitely that aspect of um, kind of treading into into more precarious water, conversational water. And I guess that know? also comes from, like, a language thing as well. Like, when I first got there, I didn't speak much Spanish at all, and mm. now I can um, talk about different things. But, yeah, anyways, um, so I think that also has to do with part of it when I, people knew me as a professional, and now I'm able to talk to them about whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, we're here. We've left our communities you have these strong friendships. You got strong friendships with fellow uh, Peace Corps volunteers. You got strong friendships back home. Mm-hmm. World's your oyster, Emma Cast. <laughs> what are your plans when you go back to the U.S.? What are you going to be up to? My plans. Well, I'm first going back, and I'll be living with my mom. In Maine. In Maine. Cool. Yeah. Who knows for how long. Sorry, Ma. Um, <laughs> and... Yeah, right now I think I'm. My goal is to be doing something by August or September, but I'm really hoping to just re. I don't know. I. This isn't really the right phrasing, but I don't know. I left for 27 months. I think I kind of owe it to my family, and my friends, to give them that time and Absolutely. to hang out with them, and not necessarily that I owe it to them. Like I want that. That's yeah. what I want to just visit with who I can travel around and yeah so that's kind of my plan for the first like three months um i think that's also a very generous perspective to 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 have no just because i think often we come back from our peace corps service and either we're elated and we're so glad that we did it Mm -hmm. uh or there's or i mean there also might be cognitive dissonance you might hold hold like two uh, opinions at once but also, there's that idea of, like, I sacrificed 27 months. Mm-hmm. Like, what do I want to do back in the United States? But that's that's an incredibly thoughtful uh, uh, perspective to say, like, it, this also took a toll on my friends and my family, like, mm-hmm. me not being there. Because, I mean, 
I'm gonna miss you. So they obviously must have been missing yeah. you for the for the past two years, twenty seven months, two years. Thanks. Yeah, sorry, I cut you off. No, 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 no. That's I appreciate all of those kind words. Um, so yeah, and then I don't know. I'm trying to figure out where this will go. Um, it'd be cool to work for now. I don't know, honestly. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to go home and, like, figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm probably the best procrastinator that there is, so, mm-hmm. like, why not just push, just, come on, let's just keep pushing that. If part. you could have, like, dream job, any job that you wanted, as soon as you came back, do you know what it would be? <laughs> no, you're going with this. No, I'm not, I'm not trying to go into this. Okay, um... A dream job, I really, I have, I don't have a dream job. I, I honestly, I honestly I, mean, like, <laughs> not, not, uh, full disclosure, Emma and I have bounced around the idea of, like, starting a food truck. That's not what I'm trying to push here. <laughs> <laughs> as much well, as okay. that would be a dream, I don't I, think I'm I have... really genuinely interested okay. in what, if you were, let's eliminate me from the, the picture. Just if you were by you. yourself, just yeah, I'm gonna, you. you know what, I'm just gonna leave you in this computer, in this room, and you can just talk. <laughs> Um, but no, if you were going to do something completely solo, uh, but it could be whatever you want, what would, what would you do? I think I'd be a teacher. Cool. I can't tell you in what capacity yet, whether that's like trying to be a Spanish teacher or environmental education. I'm mainly because I don't know what my job would be, but I really, the demographic of like high school students and working with kids and that's a good I don't know, group. maybe being like support system for people of that age. I know for me, like, I was kind of a shithead as a high school <laughs> student. At least, like, in the beginning. Yeah. Like, first couple, you know, you're just, like, <laughs> figuring your life out. I don't know. Um, but I think working with that age group, um, and also I'm really fascinated in food systems cool. and how that is not only, like, healthy eating and not only good for, like, our own health but also like environmental health mm-hmm. and kind of like the way that they tie together also i like really like to eat um, i'm good <laughs> at snacking and nice. eating so like that would be yeah i guess so like i don't know what my dream job is but i have like um values that are like bopping around good i think i mean i think that's that's a good tactic to take yeah. and i think also if you did want to be a support uh mm-hmm. if you want to serve a supporting role for teenagers or kids or adults mm-hmm. I think that you've done an excellent job over the past two years with us so Thanks, I have yeah. complete faith in your ability to do that appreciate it um and last question <laughs> what is the most ridiculous thing that has occurred to you uh during your 27 months here in Canada most ridiculous thing yeah Woof. How many things are ridiculous? All of them, I think. <laughs> what is one okay. of the most ridiculous things? Ridiculous things. Okay, I have this. This just came into my brain. Go with so it. So one day, um, old lady best friend about, I want to say 70 to 80 years old. I'm so, Which is also, I I'm mean, sorry, Senora Kayla, if you're listening to this. I'm like, I don't have your age right. And understanding. And understanding. <laughs> 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 she has... Wow, she's really been studying hard. She's studying. She misses me. Yeah. I think also, uh, maybe we can do, like, a, a bonus episode about this with, like, a roundtable discussion. But I think also uh, a very commonly heard phrase is, 
best friend 80 years old or best friend 12 years old. Yeah, like it's either 80 or 12. Like yeah. there's not really much in between, which sometimes is like, oh shit, I need friends my own age. But yeah, he and Devly, close friends will not be in your age range. But anyway, sorry. So, best friend 80 years old lady I have, we're just, might or might not know English. Yeah, <laughs> who knows? You know, she's always surprising me. Yeah. But we're sitting there in her kitchen having a conversation about who knows what, probably about my cat and how it's like messed up everything in our house. But, um, so we're just chatting and then the little neighbor girl comes over screaming and she's like, Senora Kayla, Senora Kayla, your chicken was in my, was in my yard. And she was like, okay. And she, the little girl is carrying this chicken by its feet mm-hmm. and she's running in and Senora Kayla was just like, okay, give it to me. And she takes it holding the chicken by its feet. Mm-hmm. And then we just continue talking and like neither, but like we're just having a conversation with Conversation continue, like finishes, and I realize that it's been about an hour, and neither me or her have like recognized the fact that she's holding this chicken by its feet. <laughs> no one acknowledged it, and I remember just like looking at her and started like laughing hysterically. And I was like, "Dude, you've been holding that chicken for an hour by the feet. No one has commented on it. No one's really recognized it." She like, never let it go. She just held it for the yeah, entire time. It was just like normal, normal life, like. And then it was just one of those, like, this is what my life is now, and this is awesome. And and then she proceeds to take the chicken, and she has two grandkids, they're Uh twins, and they're always just, like, running around. She goes to find them to then harass, like, harass them, that's a weird word, but, like, harass them with the chicken to scare them, because they are scared shitless of, I mean, who (laughs) isn't a chicken? Like, it's alive, just flying around, like, I don't want them to touch me. (laughs) Chickens just seem like their temperaments are so, uh, are so frenetic. Yeah. yeah, it's a little disturbing. Right. Um, Anyways, that's uh, that was ridiculous. I think. Yeah. Cool. And also, I guess yeah, I can I can ask you one more quick question, <laughs> like rapid fire. Um, do, do, do. Yeah, because I mean, I feel especially in our friendship, we talk about food a lot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, what mm-hmm. is your number one Panamanian dish? Oh, my wonder- okay, so Panamanian dish would be sancocho with arroz blanco. Yeah, which is the soup, it's got chicken, it's got otoy, which is taro. Oh, no, it's got, actually, it's got chicken, it's got ñame, which is like a root vegetable, uh, culantro, oregano. We've talked about this in the previous episode, okay. but yeah, just... And some white rice. Vegetables. And some white rice, yeah. Um, I love that. Soup is great. Soup, soup is, is good. Soup is good. <laughs> soup is good. Um, but then, my favorite, like, Panamanian food is... They're called tortillas. They're not like tortillas that we're used to in the States. They're Mm. just basically, other volunteers don't like them as much and call them hockey pucks because it's essentially like a corn patty, like a smushed corn patty. It's corn that is boiled and then ground. Mm -hmm. So you'll just get like a big, it's it's called a masa, but it's just like a big mound of ground corn. And then they will shape them into circles that are kind of thick. That's why they get the name the hockey puck. They kind of like look like hockey pucks. And then usually they'll take those pucks or tortillas and they'll fry them but yeah mm. so yeah. i think i like that yeah and sometimes rather than frying them they'll grill them too which is like super which fancy is fantastic yeah it's, especially if they're doing it with like leña mm-hmm. then it's yeah. you get that, you get that smoky too. flavor yeah. yeah hell yeah but anyway uh, emma speaking of food it's just about lunchtime yeah. i'm gonna grab something to eat yeah hell yeah cool thank you so so much for Thank a wonderful you. conversation. And like like I said, you've been incredibly uh, supportive to me and to so many volunteers. 
Jane and Todd in here. So I think I can uh, collect. I can say collectively for all of us. Thank you so much, and I oh look gosh. forward to seeing you back in the states. I know that we're gonna hang out a little bit because I'm making my way up to Maine, if not for at, at least for a visit. Yes. Cool. Awesome. Thank you.